You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. Hey, thanks. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about seven steps to a better life in 2023. Just kidding. We're not. But I do hope that, uh, man, that this shapes our life. And so I'm going to pray and then we'll jump in and we'll get going. God, thanks for your goodness and for your word and for the spirit that works in us and for Jesus who went before us and he walked a path that, that none of us could could walk so that we might have life and life in you, life in his name. Today, would you ring us out and would you build us up? Would you show us what it looks like to, to live life as servants of you and your kingdom? And would you show us that that doesn't come just from just doing more, better, but it, it comes from acknowledging the greatest servant? Would you show us Today, would, would you give us just eyes to see the way that Jesus served and, and the kingdom that he has established and sent and what part we get to play in that? Thank you for your goodness, your provision, your grace, the people in this room. We love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> it's the beginning of the end. We. We hear that statement, and, and we're familiar with stories or movies or whatever. Like, we know what that means when there's like that the music shift or whatever. It's like suddenly things take a little bit of a turn. There's a, a foreshadow or some cue that kind of lets us see that, like, from this point, things will escalate and intensify through, you know, dynamic plot twists and epic turns. And here in this passage, <clears throat> we see that. That moment in the life of Jesus today. The life of Jesus is recorded through the pen of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so if you don't know anything about the Bible uh, and you hang out with us sometimes, you might be like, uh, somebody referenced that we preached through Hosea last year or whatever. You're like, I've never heard this. What, what, like, where's Jesus? Where are the red letters or whatever? But today you find yourself in the room and all that stuff's equally important. It's God's word. But, but you find yourself living in light of, of red letters today and, and we get to see Jesus interact. And so uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were the ones who, who wrote by the Holy Spirit. They wrote through their real life interactions with with Jesus, and we get to learn and we get to, to know him through these writings. And last year, we journeyed through the early days of, of Jesus through the pen of John, and that, that kind of beginning series was called That You May Believe. And the reality is John tells us, and, and we haven't even got there yet, I think it's in, in 18, he said, I'm telling you all of this about Jesus that you may believe, that's why we're doing this, that we might believe, that we might see him for who he is. And, and we looked at that first part of, of John through chapter 12, and we saw the wedding, and Jesus turned water into wine. We saw him walk on water. We saw him feed lots of people with just a, a little bit of food, and, it, and he raised Lazarus from the dead, and he started making crazy claims like that he was from God and he was one with God. 
And, and that kind of upset some people, the religious people of the day, the Pharisees, they were not happy. And so this tension is kind of mounting. And then here we see this subtle nod to the beginning of the end <clears throat> as we pick up kind of the back nine of, of John, life and his name. Can you imagine the most powerful, greatest, infinite ruler ever to be? And this is not like a who's the goat contest. It's not like LeBron or what. It's not like that. This is like uncontested. There, there's no one that can stand be, beside him. Uh, uh, he, he is outside of gravity and space and time. It's not even a question. But, but as we're discovering this Jesus and who he is, what would the writer's pen for this script, like what would the lead character, what would Jesus do to demonstrate his nature if, if Hollywood was in charge? Would he, would he power up? Would he cast lightning from the sky? Would he, would he do great feats of strength? Would he take flight and zap his enemies with laser beams from his eyeballs? Would he establish rule in reign, which is kind of what people thought was going to happen? Would he call the infantry and the cavalry and say, all right, guys, let's line up. Here it is. It's time for battle. Would he, would he take the highest throne? Would he force his citizens to make statues in his own image and put them all over town? You know, in, in the, the movies, the beginning of the end is the part where the audience finds out the motives and the plans. Like you just see, like, and, and you say, why? just shoot them. You know, that's what you want to say. Why are you telling them? It's not going to work out. But that's the scene that we have here. But no one has a gun, I don't think, here. But you get the idea. And, and so it, it's, it's like, what is it all about? And John doesn't disappoint. He tells us exactly the mission that Jesus came to fulfill. Unlike the movies, Jesus doesn't tell how he's going to undo all that's good and, 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 and power up through deception. He does just the opposite. He lets us know that he will be deceived from within. That's what he tells us. And then, you know what he does? He shares a meal with friends and one frenemy, and he stoops low and he washes their feet. That's what he does. That's the beginning of the end. He stoops low and he washes their feet. So if, if you wonder what mission was, uh, Jesus was on and what mission he invites you into in this year or any other year, past, present, or future, we get to see that today. And, and kind of the big idea is, is Jesus came as a servant to establish and send a kingdom of servants. Jesus came as a servant to establish and send a kingdom of servants. That's what we're looking at today. Now, we can't comprehend how incredible it is to have a savior, a creator, a, a God who stoops low and washes feet. That's unimaginable that, that he would lay down his life to serve and to give life, and yet that's exactly who we have in Jesus. So just really simply, what we see first is this, Jesus came to serve. That's what he came to do. He, he came to serve. And there's all sorts of foreshadow and sovereign plans and insight and the beauty of, of John. All of these gospel writers kind of have a different lens a little bit. And Mark is just like, get to the point. And, and, and Matthew is trying to convince the Jews that he is the one. And, and Luke shows kind of the, the outside in and, and the marginalized being brought in. 
And, and John like is rich, robustly rich in theology and understanding of who Jesus is in light of who God is and how all that plays out. But it shows up in just really simple ways. And, and, and so we'll jump in uh, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. I want to read. Now before the feast of the Passover, now we won't get into this right now, but you can kind of see the, the, the timeline when they throw Passovers, it's like a year goes by and oh, there's another feast of the Passover. And so if you're just reading that, that's good to be mindful of. Uh, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. I told you, it's the beginning of the end. And he knew it. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, which I love that Matt read that because Matt calls dinner supper. And I love that about you, Matt. I don't know where you are, but he does that. And so does the ESV. And so, like, who's right? I guess it's Matt. <clears throat> During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. So, like, the, we're seeing the plans unfold. He had, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rich stuff. Jesus was sent from God and he will return to him. He rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments. And you're like, what does that mean? He took off his hoodie so he could do dishes. That's like the equivalent. It's not some whatever. He, he just took off the, like he... He, like I've got like six shirts on right now, and he just took one of them off, right? He, he took off his hoodie, and they're all sitting around, they had eaten dinner, and who's cleaning up? And you know, like, just imagine, it's just, they're hanging out, and they had dinner, and, and what's Jesus doing? You hear the, the water running, or the, you know, whatever, splashing, and dishes banging around, and, and whatever. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I don't know what this looked like. You imagine they're talking, and all of a sudden he's just like, and like, whoa, 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 like, what are you doing? Jesus came to serve. What did it mean to wash feet in the ancient Near East? Well, it was more than just kind of setting a, a coaster out to prevent water rings on your table, right? It was, it was a little bit more than that. Uh, one says it this way, it's an act that only slaves performed. So the lowest of the low in terms of duty in the cultural society, to, uh, in, in terms of the way the society, society was structured. When the master of a wealthy household returned from a journey or at times a, a day of work, a slave or a house servant would wash his feet. Now you say, well, that, gosh, like what does that look like for us? And we know that sometimes you go into some people's houses and you look at the cues like, do they let me wear shoes in this house? And you look by the door, and there's a rug there, and there's a, three pairs of shoes, and you're like, okay, I'm going to take my shoes, right? right? That's like, it's, and so there's customary stuff, and some of you are like, no, it's just fine. Some of you are like, yes, you're not walking in here. Here's some slippers, you know, like in a bag that you, you know, whatever. So, so you just get it. Like, it's customary stuff. And, and so uh, it was somebody would work and they would come home or they would go for a journey, they would come back and they would, they would need to have clean feet. Check this picture of sandals out. Kind of ancient Near East. It's the best that I could come up with, I think. That's what the sandals look like, which honestly, I have some shoes that look similar. That, like, that is, that's not so bad. But here's the thing. 
If you've ever went to a softball game in the summer, you know what this means, that you're in a desert, and I'm telling you, you go to a softball game, and you just sit there in the bleachers, and you think it's fine, and then you get home, and you like take your socks off, and you realize that you, you are like three shades a different color than you were when you, you didn't even know it, but there's just sand everywhere, and so you imagine it would be pretty rough, like dirt everywhere, and sweaty feet, and right? I know, just go home, it's fine. We're talking about sweaty feet. It's too early for that. Uh, you think about this in Guatemala, which spent some time there, and we'll have a, a team go there this summer, hopefully. And uh, if you want to do that, then you need to talk to Tammy Tucker today. It's too late already, but I'm just throwing that out there. Tammy's like, what is it? He's ruining it. Uh, it's okay. Um, so in Guatemala, they have, in some of the houses, dirt floors. But here's the thing. They still have brooms, and they sweep the dirt floors. It doesn't look like this. But nobody wants just dirt all over their house. Like, nobody wants that no matter the, the context. And so the beginning of the end here, what, what we see is, is uh, Jesus is washing feet. The beginning of the end for Jesus isn't some final magic act to prove his power, but it's a simple act of service which sets the pattern of his life and his kingdom. He demonstrates his love, which is what he says to them. He loved them to the end. He demonstrates his love and the way of the kingdom with action. It's not just a theory that like, yeah, I'm a servant, but you don't serve anyone ever. And you just think it's a good idea and that people should be served. But he actually, he does it. It's not just a theory of love, but he loves them by serving them. He's prioritizing others through, this is really important, action. So I have this theory, and it's not new, but I think about this from time to time, that, that we Truly know who someone is when they have all of the advantage, when they have all of the power, when they have all of the authority, when they, when they have all of the money or influence and they have nothing left to gain, then you see how they treat people. And there's something to be said of how we respond when we're suffering or when we, when we are brought low. And, and certainly we get stuff comes out of us. But when we have everything and we have nothing to prove, like, how do you treat people? Like, like if you leave a room and there are uh, four seven-year-olds and you put one of them in charge and then you just step out of the room and you just listen. You say, hey, uh, so-and-so, you're going to be in charge. And he says, I, I am? Yeah, you're in charge, right? You're the boss, all right? I want to step out of the room for a minute. Step out of the room, close the door, and just listen. Like, what does he do? Usually it sounds something like, all right, <laughs> like, line up. Like, what? What is this? Like, why would you think that? But, but that little kid, he's never had power in his life. But in the moment, he got it. And he's like, oh, okay. I'm going to let them know who's the boss. Because I've never been the boss, but guess what? Today, I am the boss. So most of you aren't seven, but this is still true. Like, what does it look like? When you have authority or influence or you have the upper hand or you have leverage, man, what does it look like? And, and maybe you've never had that, and, and maybe you do have that in, in the life that you live and whatever that looks like. What does it reveal about you? Do you look to serve others or do you look to let them know how great you really are? It's, it's really simple. So Jesus, he's not in the same league as anyone or anything. And here with, with nothing to prove, he washes feet and there's, it's been said a, a thousand ways, but everyone wants to serve until they get treated like a servant. 
Everyone wants to serve. It's an idealized thing until you actually get treated like a servant, until you get marginalized, you get set aside, or you don't get the glory that you thought that you would, and, and then you realize, like, oh, man, my serving looked different than I thought. And here, Jesus, he treats himself as the servant. No one's making him do this. He proves the point elsewhere, where in, in Matthew chapter 20, there's this mother, and, and she's got these two sons that are hanging out with Jesus, right? And sons of Zebedee, and, and she approaches Jesus, and she's like, hey, um, I, I just have a favor. I need you to say yes to it. And he's like, well, I don't, but you haven't asked the favor. And what is it? And she's like, but when you, like, when your kingdom is established, can you just make sure my sons are, like, ruling and reigning with you to the left and to the right? And he's like, well, I, I can't give that because that's only the father. But, by the way, you don't know what you're asking. Like, I'm telling you, you don't know. And she's like, no, we can handle it. I know my boys, they can handle it. And he's like, ma'am, they can't, but okay, here's the thing. They will. This is what he says. He says, uh, Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to? We are able, they said to him. He told them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at the right of, the, the, uh, of me is not mine to give. It's, it's for those to whom the Father has prepared it. When the 10 disciples heard this, they became indignant. They're like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to be someone? And this is what Jesus says. Jesus called them over. He said, guys, 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 come here. Listen, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. He does this. He contrasts kingdoms. And what he says is, you know, we're in this room, and there's a world out there that lives by a different order. It doesn't live like us. You know that out there, out, out there in, in Wall Street in D.C., where money and power rule the day, they live a certain way. And those in high positions, they act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. He makes this contrast, and he does that time and time again. The way of Jesus is an absolute contrast to the way of the world, where Jesus doesn't rule and reign in their hearts, where, where pride and self-exalting uh, drives. And he's telling his followers just very simply and directly. He's not like giving them a parable. He says, don't live like they live. Don't let power drive you. Don't let self-exaltation drive you. It's a kingdom contrast. It's like what we read in the Proverbs where you see the wise and the fool and the wise and the fool. And he's saying they are the fools. Let us be wise in the way that we live. And, and here's the thing. You and I, we will want to live like they live. You will want to do that. You'll see them win awards, and you will see them gain power, and you'll see them gain money and, and live a lifestyle that, that you only dream of. Or worse, you actually have the means to live the lifestyle that they live or that others might dream of. And, and if it wasn't for the way of the kingdom, which, which holds you back from living that way, you would live like the world. That's tough. What he's saying is, my way is better than that way. Don't, don't 
put all of your eggs in that basket like the world does. You'll want to, to put yourself above all else and, and use any and everything and any and, and everyone to advance your name, your glory, your renown, your kingdom, your stuff, your kingship. And what he's saying is, is don't do that. That's what he's modeling when he washes feet. Among my people, it must not be. In contrast, we, we wear different lenses, which lets us see the world by a different scorecard. It can't look the same. To be great, you put others first. Jesus washing feet is just an overflow of priority. Others first. The second thing that we see is, is Jesus came to cleanse our worst. Pick up in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Like, hey, you don't get it now, but trust me, you, you will get this. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. All right, he, he's... he's He's making a bigger picture than, than what we see in the room. And Simon said, well, I won't share with you. So how about this? How about you just wash all of me then? Like my face and everything else. And Jesus is like, well, no, I'm going to wash your feet. He didn't say that. I'm just kidding. But, but Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and he put on his outer garments, he put his hoodie back on, he resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand that I have done, uh, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. So, so practically, the feet are, are gross, but that's only the surface picture that Jesus is painting. He's, he's always painting with a broader brush. He has limited time with them, and he, and he makes it count through these illustrations as he's interacting with them. You've probably heard the saying, you, you are far worse than you could ever imagine. And yet, in Christ, far more loved than we could ever dream. And that's true. And that's so beautiful. If, if Jesus came to earth, God and man together, to merely improve hygiene to wait tables, to vote, to stand up for the oppressed, or, or to do nice things for, for good people, then, then we are completely sunk. We have no hope at all. And this is why as much as the church should be known for doing good, like we get to advance good. No matter what uh, theological camp you come from, doing good things that's okay. We get, to, we get to do good things. But it must, be, uh, it, it must be known far more for being complete disasters. The church gets to, to acknowledge herself as complete disasters made pure by someone, something, far more than a good teacher who just said nice things. It's not what Jesus did. He, he wasn't just a good guy who said some good things and he showed us how to live. Serving is something that he does, but more, it's an identity, a lifestyle that he lives. So what, what all that means is, is this is about way more than dirty feet made clean. 
the Jesus Storybook Bible helps. It says this, Jesus knew that what people needed most was to be clean on the inside. All the dirt on their feet was nothing compared to the sin inside their hearts. And I want to read that again because it's pretty significant. It's like the foundation to our life in Christ. It's, it's the foundation to a life that's pleasing to God. Jesus knew that what people needed most was to be clean on the inside. All the dirt on their feet was nothing compared to the sin inside their hearts. Then wash me, Lord, Peter said, tears filling his eyes, all of me. And one by one, Jesus washed everyone's feet. And he said, I am doing this because I love you. Jesus explained, do this for each other. Jesus knew that what people needed most was to be clean on the inside. So if we get our, our being right, like, like who we are to be, then our doing follows. And, and what happens so often is, is we try to get the doing right without considering who it is that we're trying to be. And how we're being changed. Our, our being is that we're being made into the image of the one who lived and of the one who died and of the one who yet lives. And his name is Jesus. That's, that's our being. And, and by grace, through faith, which we just throw that line around, but it's everything. It's by grace. It's, it's we don't deserve it. It's, it's gifted and granted to us by God. How? By faith. By our trusting that God is giving us that grace. But by grace through faith, it, it means this, that, that his life that he lived, that Jesus in, in all this that we've been reading, he's perfect in every way. He pleases God in every single way. There's no sin in him or outside of him. And although he was tempted, he never faltered. He never failed. He pleased the Father in every single way. This is significant. Jesus can't be a sinner because then he deserved to die. So by grace, through faith, his life is given to us as our life. His righteousness is granted to us as our righteousness. We have none in ourselves. But then we go on his death that, that is, is impending, and he's alluding to it even in these pages. His death gets us something as well. By grace, through our faith that he died the death that I deserve to die, he grants us something, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That God, creator of all that is and, and, and essence of all that is good, when we stand before him, he looks at you and he says, good, you're good. And you're not, and I'm not. But by grace, through faith, Jesus died so that there's no more debt for you to pay to be made right with God. But, but the good news doesn't end there. By grace, through faith, he raised from the dead. That means that he is victorious over lots of things, over the grave, over Satan. He came to overcome this world. There's lots of things. And here's the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus is that by grace, through faith, our trusting in that, we are unified to his work, his life, his death, and his resurrection, which gives us the power and the victory to overcome sin 
so that you don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. You don't have to be a slave to selfish living any longer. You can live life washing feet and, and even doing so joyfully because Jesus lives. He grants us that life. It's, it's unity with his work alone which lets us live as servants. And, and by his grace, as we grow and be conformed to his image, we do that joyfully. And that's bonkers that you could live life serving others and you could find joy in it. Jesus' greatest act of service, it, it wasn't washing feet, it was washing us clean from the inside out by the work of his redemption on the cross. Even a humble king would wash feet as a servant. He, he could, but, but no other king can make people pure in the eyes of God except for Jesus. So if you find yourself today saying, all right, uh, along with diet and exercise changes that are coming my way this week, <laughs> but we'll start tomorrow, it's fine. <laughs> along with those things, you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what? God, this is just the thing that I needed to hear. I, here's what, I'm going to be a, a better person, and you know what? I'm going to serve others. That's what I'm going to do this year. That's awesome. See, so that's fantastic. But, but please don't try to do that in your own strength. You don't have to. You don't have to do that in your own strength. Do that in your own, in your own weakness. It doesn't start by saying, like, when I walk up those stairs, world, just watch out. I'm going to be serving everyone. Every... No, it starts by saying, I'm a total disaster. God, apart from your grace, man, I, I only care about me. But look at the way that you showed me. You invited me into something. And then you actually begin to make my heart clean so that I might live my life for someone other than myself and even find joy in it. That's different than saying, 2023, here I come. Like, the essence of it is, is it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's such a, a powerful truth that we get from Scripture. But, but whenever you're trying to do something for the glory of God, it's, it's all, it, it can never be like, watch me, Lord. It's, it's, it's no longer I who live. Like that part of me is dead. The old man is dead. But it's Christ who lives in me so that I might live in such a way. A, a life in Christ isn't about doing all the things it's not. It's, it's not about extreme generosity and, and hospitality and, and you know, selflessness so that God might find me approved and he might love me and he might welcome me into his family. It's, it's all of those things because we are approved, because we are welcomed, because we have been shown hospitality, because we've been shown selflessness, because we've been, been shown extreme generosity, and because we already find ourselves approves, uh, approved then we get to live in such a way. That's a beautiful thing. The third thing that we see is, is this. Jesus came to make disciples. I just told you, it's pretty simple. I, I know it's probably a late night, and so we're trying to keep things really simple. Jesus came to make disciples. Uh, let's read about them. Verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. We just don't get this very often from Jesus. We, we don't get this direct stuff very often. Because I, being your Lord and teacher, have done these things, hey, you should do them too. It's like, that's great. Okay. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He goes on and he talks about, kind of sets up some Judas and betrayal stuff, which I think we'll get into a bit more next week. But, but here's the thing. I want you to, to take you back to Christmas Day, 1988. Young Michael, he... He gets a 16-inch Mongoose GT bike, light blue, white tires. No one's, no one's riding white tires in 88. It was awesome. It's cold. It's Christmas Day, but it's dry, and, and nothing could stop me from trying it out. My dad walks with me. We're in a neighborhood, whatever. He, he walks with me as I'm kind of seeing what's under the hood of this baby, you know. I, I pass him a couple times. I turn around, and I'm, I'm like, dude, look at me. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm really doing it, right? So here's the thing. I, like, grew up in a, a lower-class neighborhood, all the older kids rode bikes, and I mean, they like legit rode bikes, like half pipes and BMX track stuff, and it was like part of the culture was like, man, and so I'm like, for math's sake, I'm six or seven at this time, right? Um, but I've seen them ride my whole life, and I'm, I'm like an avid rider myself, and so I've seen them do this thing that whenever I see them, I'm like, that's bad. But up to this point, I just had this little 12-inch, like the tires were this big. Couldn't really do it. My knees, like, but, but like, Brent, I know. I should have just had Brent come and ride bike to demonstrate this. But, so I've seen them do this thing, and, and they're doing, like, when they're going fast, they're like, you know, like, just, it's like, man, they're like in control of their bike in such a way. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, now it's, but now it's my turn. And I start to do it a little bit, and, and I remember going by my dad, and he's like, he called me Junior, like, oh, slow down, Junior, you know, real life. Thanks, Dad. And, um, and then I'm like, I, I go to the end of the sidewalk, and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, this is it. I'm like, I'm going to be, but they were doing this, but I was doing this. And it's not the same thing. And I, and I, I remember, like, this doesn't feel right, but, like, they look so cool. And they're doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm like, this feels dangerous. Like, this feels really, and I wrecked, like, literally, f like, flip, hit the curb, scratched the little GT sticker on the frame of my bike, bloodied a little bit. It's fine. I felt dumb, and I literally was thinking, like, why didn't that work? Like, so why do you care about any of that? Because I was watching others, but I didn't have a teacher, and I ate it. I'd seen people from a distance, like, ride bikes in cool ways, and I did that with them. But there was nobody saying, hey, Michael, you're going to wreck if you do this. You need to see the difference. Oh, gosh, that's really helpful. Um, Jesus, he's riding his bike next to these guys, and it's the story of his life. 
He's riding his bike next to them. He's showing them. He's instructing them on how to live, on how to live life in his name. And you think about what Jesus did. He lived a life not normal by any means, but he started his ministry at 30, and he was dead by 33. And, and you just think, gosh, and, and he put all of this stock in these 12, 11, 12 again, jokers. It was moments like this that he built the kingdom that you and I will exist in for eternity forward. It's moments like this room. Jesus came to make disciples, and he, and he sends his, his students, his disciples, his church to do the same. We get to do just the same, to train and equip and to learn. And if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, it's really tough if you're not around Jesus or his disciples. And look, the reality is, as you are, you're still going to crash and burn. You're still going to get your knees scraped up. But man, like, he's showing them how to be and how to send disciples that are and that make and that mature and, and that multiply disciples. He's showing us the way of the kingdom. I remember when I was little, I would always say to my son, I would leave like for a couple day trip and I would say, hey, like, listen, you're the lead servant while daddy's gone, right? Like, you're the lead servant. Like, I need you to serve mom. I need you to serve your sister while I'm gone, right? You're the lead servant. And, and I think I did that because I was probably telling myself, you know, like, man, I, like my responsibility is to, to, to serve these, th this family. And, and, and son, I, I just want you to know that this is a burden that, that men get to bear, that they get to be the lead servant in their house. Man, he's many things, but Jesus, he's the lead servant. It's not me. It's not my son. It's not you. You're going you're gonna to mess stuff up. But, but Jesus, he's the lead servant. And, and, and if I just zoom out and I think of discipling as, you know, in, in the, the context of parenting, and I, I think I, I'm 40 years old and, and I, I feel like the, the weight of, of life gone by and, and life ahead and the relationship with my dad and with my kids, and, and I struggle like, uh, are we in therapy right now? I feel, kind of feel like we're in therapy. I'll keep talking and you ask more questions. Um, so, like, the, the tension of, like, modeling versus saying and just influence of, of a parent as their kids get older and, like, you know, hey, just do it because I said so, and then it looks different here, and then my kids aren't fully grown, but, like, what does that look like? And then I even look at myself and, like, gosh, what is my, my parents' influence on me and shaping me? And, like, the transition of making and maturing and, and multiplying disciples and I, I just see it so clearly as Jesus is like, it's the beginning of the end. Guys, like, we, we, we have to understand that our work is to be servants. And, 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 and more than that, it's, it's that you need to know that I must be your greatest servant. And if, and if that ever gets flipped, man, the, the kingdom is in jeopardy. Like, I'm the one that has to carry weight that only I can carry. So, so don't make, uh, don't mistake this as a call to, to merely be a servant. Here's the reality. Everyone in this room, you're already servants. Every single one of you. 
Like, like every moment of your life, you're a servant. And some of you are like, yes, he, I feel seen. And some of you are like, gosh, how's that true? But here's the thing. Some of you serve yourself. And some of you serve the, the greater kingdom. And that's what we have to sort out today. And you might say, well, this is a matter of personality. And look, I know many of you, many of you well. And I could like put you in uh, uh, like a pretty, pretty distinct categories of like this person lives life as a servant. This person serves himself most of the time. Right? Which category do you think I would be? I'm just kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm over there. I, I'm, not a, I, I'm selfish in the way that I think, and you can call it driven, or you can call it lots of things, but what it comes down to is like, uh, I prioritize myself. And so anything in me that doesn't do that is, is God's work in me and through me. And so we get to look at that, and, and here's the other thing. You get to look at this, and you get to stare it dead in the face, and you say, I've lived my life for myself all of my life. Or, or the uh, people ask me to do things, and I say no. And, and what the, the call is like, Stop living for yourself and live for the one who laid down his life that you might truly live. And then the other side of you are, man, I served from the time I was this big. I did everything that I could and, and I set the table. I didn't just say no when they asked me. I looked for ways to serve them when, when, uh, when they weren't asking. And I would just say, man, that's great and I love that. And, and I would also say, make sure that you're not serving for your own glory. Like, we get to look deep into our hearts, and you can live the life of a servant on the outside, and it turned out you've been serving yourself your entire life. So, we get to look, and, and you might say, well, how do I live life as a servant? And I just want to hit on four real quick things. One, we get to know the lead servant. Don't start anywhere else. Just say, Jesus, what does it look like to know you? Like, what, what, is that, what does that look like? Let him reveal your heart that desires to be served more than to serve. Secondly, you've got to start near and now. You've got to start near and now. You've got to look around and you've you got to say, man, how can I help someone else? It's, it's that simple. I remember when we first started the village... The O'Donohos came. I wasn't going to share this. It wasn't in my notes, but I thought that I might. And Scott, uh, Pastor Scott started hanging around, and he, and he just literally came to me over and over again. He's like, what can I do to help you? I, 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 what he was saying was, you look like a complete train wreck. <laughs> Your emails need some editing. How can I help? But for real, it wasn't selfish ambition. It was him saying, I just... How can I be helpful? And he was helpful to me. And in so doing, he served this church. And later on, he became a, an, an elder, and he's on staff, whatever. And so that's not the pathway for that. But like that's, it is literally, how can I be helpful? So if you look to your left and to your right, how can I be helpful to those around me? I mean, that's like a good, really good place to start. Be the best worker at your job. Don't be a slacker. Don't do that. For the kingdom's sake, don't be a slacker. Be present. Do the work that you're being paid to do. Look around. If you're sitting here and saying, man, I have no way to serve, serve within your local church. 
Trust me, there are lots of places. Go to the Connect desk, fill out a Connect card or, or online. There, there's a list of, literally, you can click a, a thing and say, I want to start serving there. There's lots of ways you can serve. But just, just start near. And now, if you're married, like, treat your spouse as the one that, that even when they drive you nuts, I want to serve them before I serve myself. Son, daughter, parent, whatever the relationship is, brother, sister, oh no, we have to hate each other. You don't have to hate each other. Lay down your life and start serving one another and let the glory of the Lord show up in your relationships. We don't have to live like they live. Thirdly, don't look to be noticed. Again, it's not an idealized thing. Don't be discouraged when you're treated like a servant. I just did all that. No one's, I, I'm sorry. Don't look to be noticed. Serve so that Christ may be put on display, not so that you might be put on display. And lastly, play the long game. Like the long game of being a disciple is conformity to Christ, but it's, it's also investing in the lives of others who are being conformed to Jesus. What does it look like for you to say, I'm going to serve. How can I serve in a way that invests in the kingdom? I don't know what that looks like. The band can come on up. Jesus came as a servant to establish and send a kingdom of servants. I mean, that's, that's us. It's what we get to walk in because of what he has walked in. Would you pray with me? Actually, we get to respond. We get to respond in several ways. You can sit right where you are. You can stand up. You can sing. You can pray at that prayer bench over there. You can pray with someone back at that red tree. They would love to pray with you. If you are in Christ and all this is, is true and you've, you've sought in your heart, you acknowledge that, that Christ's body was broken and his blood was spilled so that you might have forgiveness of sins and eternal life, then, then this cup and bread is for you. And we get to take it and we get to remember what he has, has done. We get to declare what he has done. And, and if you're not at a place to where you've, you've acknowledged that, then this is not for you, but we would love to chat with you. My wife and I will be back there. We would love to have a chat with you. And uh, as I said, you can stand up and respond however the Spirit would lead. God, thanks for your goodness and your grace. Thanks for the way that you serve us, even in spite of us. And would you today even begin to, to ring us out, to chisel our hearts, to conform our lives into the image of you. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.